0: Good evening, everybody. Thank you for for being here with us this evening. This is the media room here at Citizens Bank Park. And if it looks familiar to you, uh, that's because you probably watched uh, our manager uh, give post-game remarks or uh, seen a new player be introduced in this room. Uh, This is, uh, actually, you you all are taking the place of the media who always ask us a lot of good questions, some that are difficult (laughs) to answer. Uh, but we would like you to be just as inquisitive and curious tonight as the members of the media are when they're in this room. So we hope you'll participate uh, in, in this uh, session. It's, it's not a dialogue. Uh, it's interactive. Uh, for those of you who don't know what this is, uh, this is a program that uh, T.J. Farrell initiated, and T.J. doesn't like to take the credit for it, but he's in the back there, Uh, TJ realized that there were a lot of young people, especially who were having a difficult time trying to get by in this crazy way of life that we have these days, not just with COVID, but with the pressures uh, that are involved, especially for young people. And so uh, the, the name for the program is Strike Out the Stigma. And our goal here is to eliminate as best we can the stigma that many people have regarding mental health. Uh, I refer to it as a uh, kind of a a deal where if an athlete is hurt, uh, usually, like Bryce Harper, you know, he came off holding his thumb, he's obviously hurt, he's gonna have a cast on his thumb, everybody knows that Bryce is injured, okay? That's apparent. But there are a lot of uh, situations that people deal with where it's not so apparent, where, where we say maybe it's time to get a checkup from the head up, to find out uh, where we are uh, mentally, not just physically. And athletes especially, we kind of started this with athletes, it's come a long way fortunately since then, but athletes who are, are coping with mental stress, it's not something that is apparent to their teammates. And it's something sometimes, unfortunately, they're somewhat embarrassed to talk about. And that's the stigma that we want to erase. And so the program, with the cooperation of Minding Your Mind, which is a great partner that we have, you're gonna hear from a, a wonderful young person who represents that organization tonight. Uh, we have been having monthly uh, sessions. Uh, this one is, uh, because Fourth of July is right around the corner, uh, dealing mostly uh, with veterans and the stress Uh, that veterans have. Uh, We are interactive. Uh, As I said, we hope that you uh, have an opportunity to uh, have a question come up based upon the conversation. We have had some questions that have been sent to us and we have uh, made sure that uh, they're included, Uh, but that doesn't mean that if you have another question, something that, uh, you know, hits you while we're talking here, please uh, raise your hand. In the interest of full disclosure, Uh, We do, uh, I want to say tape because I'm of that generation. I guess the easiest way to say it is we do record these uh, sessions, and then they're available on our Phillies website, phillies.com. We want to get to as many people as we can. We also would not be able to do this kind of uh, monthly session without the help of a great sponsor, and we have that in Kate a law group, and Tony is here with us tonight uh, representing, say hello to Tony, raise your hand Tony so everybody can see you over there, it is, uh, it's our pleasure to have you here Tony, and th- thank you so much, and, and uh, we, well gosh, I'm just here because, I'm here because I really believe in this honestly, I've known some, some young people uh, in my world who have uh, taken their lives, and it's devastating. Uh, for the entire family, uh, the, the, the folks who are uh, grandparents, the folks who are parents, uncles, aunts, anybody. It's just one of those things that comes out of left field. So that's what we want to we talk tonight about, trying to head that off, trying to uh, find out uh, what we can do to open up a conversation. That's what we really want to have is, is a conversation. And we are lucky to have an incredible panel uh, to speak with you all. So let's meet them. New for 2022, we'll have a member of our Phillies front office join me as a co-host on our panel. And joining me tonight is our co-host, Christine Robichaud. Uh, Christine is not only a whiz when it comes to IT, something I know absolutely, well, almost nothing about. I can sign my computer on. I try not to send an email before I think twice before I hit the send. It's a challenge sometimes, but uh, I had a problem tonight uh, with my computer, and Christine was right there. Uh, but uh, her, her title is Philadelphia Phillies Technology Services Coordinator. Uh, we'd like to uh, thank her for being our co-host tonight. And uh, could you uh, tell us a little bit about your military background? Because, you know, I'm familiar with that as a veteran myself. We've talked about it. And uh, I'd like you to share a little bit about your background, if you could, first to lead us off.
1: Sure. Hi, everybody. Like Scott said, um, my name is Christine Robichaud. I actually was in the Army for nine years. I did six years active duty um, from 2013 to the end of 2018. Uh, stationed a few places, Fort Bragg and Schofield mostly. mostly. Um, my main role is, was communications. I did a lot of networking, IT, kind of a similar role to what I do here. Um, I was also airborne, um, and then when I got that means out- you
0: jump out of airplanes, right? <laughs> yeah, perfectly good airplanes. You leave them yes. while they're flying
1: for fun. Yes, I've never um, figured
0: that one out, folks.
1: So after I finished up active duty, I moved back home. Was born and raised here in Philadelphia um, to, to pursue a college education, and got a part time job here, and did the reserves for a few years while I was uh, finishing my college degree, and been lucky and blessed to join this this great organization with a lot of great people and. It's really great to be doing something like this for for veterans. So I'm happy to represent the Phillies and veterans alike.
0: Well, thanks for pitching in and helping us uh, tonight and, and being a wonderful uh, co-host. Thanks, Kristen. Uh, also, we have a member from our nonprofit organization that we were talking about, our partner, Minding Your Mind. Please welcome Kristen Haratunian.
2: That's right. Did I get it right? Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. wow.
0: Well, it's already a successful night then. Uh, Kristen, for those of you who don't know, tell us a little bit about uh, Minding Your Mind first and then your role with the organization.
2: Sure, sure. Uh, so Minding Your Mind's mission, we're, we're a nonprofit, and our mission is to reduce the stigma associated around mental health. Uh, what my role is, is today, I don't know if you guys heard, but today's my five-year work So <laughs> <laughs> I've been... I don't know, thank you um, and I it's just a really cool gig because what my role is is that I go into community centers high schools middle schools elementary schools you know events like this and I, I share my personal story to help reduce the stigma associated around mental health um, I'm a true believer and I know that a lot of the minding your mind speakers were true believers that like every single person has a story and um, I always knew that I needed it when I was a kid for somebody to, to share and get vulnerable. So it's just my job to stand on a stage and get as vulnerable and honest as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: Well, that's an incredible that you can share your honesty. If I can just ask you a question, has, has it helped you uh, with your mental health being able to stand in, in front of an audience and, and speak about uh, your personal struggles?
2: Yeah, I would say not necessarily when I do it, but it helps me when I get off that stage, and the kids that were maybe too scared to ask me a question, they come up, and, you know, there's, like, 5, 10, 15 kids, and they say, like, you told my story. I thought I was the only one. Thank you so much, because, like, not only do I tell my personal story, as along with the other speakers, we also share, like, replacing uh, negative coping skills with positive coping skills, how to take care of your mental health, that, like, life still shows up, so mm-hmm. it's cool. I didn't know that I this would be... Not just my job, but my career.
0: Well, you certainly are suited for it, and (laughs) we appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you. And congratulations on five years. Thank you. As I said before, we should really be prepared to do shots, just in her honor tonight. But <laughs> the bar isn't on this floor, so we can't do that. Our final uh, panelist that comes to us from our friends at TAPS, and he is going to explain, uh, for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure I see the shirts, many of you are familiar with this, uh, Don Lipstein. Uh, Don, great to have you here. Uh, fill us in a little bit about uh, your personal story and also about TAPS for those who may not know and those who are watching on phillies.com.
3: Okay. First, I want to just thank the Phillies and strike out the stigma for doing this, like for providing this to our community. What a great, uh, great gift. So thank you. Thank you. Um, So it all started 63 years ago. (laughs) Just kidding. I won't go back that far. (laughs) Um, We do have a game to get to. Um, So uh, about, 15 years ago, life was really good for me. I had just, um, I was divorced from my first wife and, um, had my two children, two teenage children living with me. Um, my one son who was serving in the Navy, also a teenager at the time, uh, he was deployed. Um, everything just seemed to be going really, really well. And, um... 2011 came, came along, and my uh, ex-wife died uh, from a colon cancer. Um, and a month later, my son, uh, who was serving in the Navy, uh, took his life. So um, that turned my life completely upside down, and uh, it put me um, in touch with TAPS, Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors, which uh, basically uh, set my life, my, my grief journey straight. Um, six months into uh, my grief, I had, uh, I had, uh, was told to go to a seminar, which was for suicide survivors. And I went, and uh, after, you know, trying to find my tribe, um, my family, they were great, my friends were great, they were all helpful with uh, you know, trying to help me, but uh, the peer support that I received from TAPS was unbelievable. Mm. Um, that's what really helped me to find a path to healing. Um, so uh, I've been, I started working with TAPS a year after uh, Josh died, a year and a half after Josh died, and uh, I was working in their peer mentor program, um, And uh, I was training peers, uh, peer supporters, so uh, people that have already lost a loved one and mostly suicide loss, uh, that and they were 18 months out from their loss, they uh, were trained in how to offer support to newer loss survivors. Um, so I did that for uh, five years. Uh, And then we recognized a need for men to really focus on their grief Mm -hmm. because men weren't getting involved in their grief. And so I was asked to uh, start doing outreach to newer survivor men and uh, mostly dads that had lost a loved one to suicide. Um, And it's been incredible. Uh, That journey was incredible. I've been doing that for the past five years. I'm retiring in July. Uh, through TAPS, I learned that the, the families that I was doing outreach with, they had a tendency to, they, drugs were involved. Uh, you know, Substance use was uh, involved in the, either the suicide or the overdose. Uh, oftentimes, that was the case, and I just said, I need to do more. Like This is great that I'm able to, to support these families, but I want to do more than just uh, that. I want to stop and, and save lives. So um, I went to a um, bomb Institute, which stands for Be a Loving Mirror, and they trained me how to be a family recovery life coach. And um, I, I absolutely love it. I've been working with families in TAPS uh, that need that, but also, um, you know, just connecting with other people that are, uh, that are in need of, of this kind of support. It's been awesome.
4: Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.
0: Thank, thank you, Don. As you can tell already, uh, these people are incredible. Uh, they're the conduit uh, because they're willing to share what is a very personal story for all of them uh, in the hopes that it will help others. Uh, Christine, I'd like you to start as our official co-host for this evening with the first question.
1: Thanks, Scott. Uh, Our first question is going to be for Kristen here. So, some of the questions we receive center around trauma and stress. What advice can you give to those who are struggling with past trauma in their daily lives?
2: So, I, believe it or not, get that question very often. Um, You know, how do I deal with my own trauma? How do I deal with my own stress? you know, it's important to know that I'm a trauma survivor. Um, my mother attempted and completed suicide in 2009. Uh, she struggled with alcoholism, she struggled with an eating disorder. Um, I was one of, if not the, the main person that took care of her during the day as like an 11-year-old girl. So, you know, that's just one of many. And I share that because when I share that specifically with children and adults, um, those kids, uh, you know, and Don spoke on it very briefly about that peer-to-peer, being able to meet somebody, see somebody that is on a path of recovery or on a path of healing from their own trauma, they see that number one, it can be done. Number two, it's a journey, that it's not gonna happen overnight. And that number three, you know, we learn from one another. So, you know, when we're dealing with traumas and, and mental illness and mental health issues, you know, it's been I've I've been in recovery for about seven and a half years. Um, my clean date's February 10th, 2015. i struggled with alcohol and drug abuse myself, and um, and I share that because it's a day at a time. Trauma healing from trauma is a day at a time as well. Um, I point them towards therapy, but therapy's not always accessible. Um, I point them towards potentially Al-Anon or Nar-Anon, any type of 12-step meeting, and um, and more importantly, I tell them to like reach out early and often. So. It's not one-size-fits-all, but talking about it is the first step. So thank you.
0: For sure. Don, uh, I know about Gold Star Mothers. We recently had a a ceremony here at the ballpark where we dedicated a a seat at the ballpark uh, in, in honor of Gold Star Mothers. I admit that I don't know what Blue Star Mothers are. Before I ask the next question, I'd like you to... Enlighten me uh, and anyone else that might not know the answer to that.
3: So um, gold star mothers are moms that have lost a loved one uh, in service. Uh, Blue star mothers are the moms that have uh, a loved one, uh, a child in service. Um, And if I'm not mistaken, uh, they are deployed. Okay. Okay.
0: Thank you. And this uh, question comes uh, from a Blue Star mother. We've had questions, uh, as you might expect, from uh, a few parents uh, who have uh, children who are currently serving or uh, served in the past. Uh, The question is, my son is suffering from PTSD symptoms from two tours of duty, which isn't unusual these days, one in Afghanistan and one in Iraq. How can parents of veterans help diminish the stigma of veterans receiving mental health services once they indeed ask for them?
3: Boy, that's a real tough question, and there's really no easy answer to that. and I just want you to know, like, my answer is coming from a pure perspective. I'm not a clinician, so I can't speak um, on those terms, but I, I think it begins with uh, open and honest communication between the parent and uh, their, their child. Um, and some of that is having really difficult conversations. Um, like being able to listen and hear what uh, that son or daughter um, went through while they were you know, dealing, like what, what caused their PTSD. Um, they need to be able to talk about it. And if they can talk about it safely with somebody <coughs> that's gonna be able to listen, I feel like that can really be helpful. Um, Connecting with other peers, if you can get them connected to peers, and I know Kristen spoke about this, um, and it, that's the key. Uh, so uh, professional support for us as parents. Uh, the vet centers offer uh, support to families, like it's not just veterans, and there's so many organizations out there that do the same. That. It's, you know, it's for veterans, but it's also for their families. So it's important that the families get help, um, professional help with that. I think being authentic and being vulnerable are two really important things. Like, just be who you are. And um, as far as um, the veterans go, there's, like I said, there's a lot of groups out there. Uh, Wounded Warrior Project is awesome. Stop Soldier Suicide. Uh, is also another great group, Vets for Warriors, uh, local um, VFWs, uh, Veterans of Foreign uh, Wars, all of those are there and there's so many more. So um, if you can get them connected to those peer-based programs, you're gonna be doing a huge favor and get yourself support too.
0: Good answers. Uh, Christine you have uh, served active duty and now as a reservist you you've been in contact uh, and also I think it's important as a minority in the service, which which women are uh, in touch with a lot of uh, Service people who you have recognized may have a problem, but they won't recognize that they have a problem and it's also tough to just go in and say hey You don't look right or you know report them to your commanding officer what are some of the steps and that, that you saw um, or I shouldn't say steps, what are some of the uh, indicators that you saw of people in service who were having problems mentally?
1: I think um, it's really important to, to recognize that not everybody is going to react the same way. But if you know, if you're in the service, you see the same people mostly every day. You know their behaviors. Uh, majority of the time it's going to be they're kind of distancing themselves or they may not be as social or they may not seem as friendly or approachable as they normally do. Um, maybe they are showing up a little bit later. Maybe they're, they're coming into work with their uniform a little out of whack. Um, but there are also people that can start to act a little erratically. Um, maybe they're being more talkative it's usually a, like a chain major behavioral changes that have seemed to be a, a major sign of mm. when people are starting to to kind of be going through something and when it may be a good time to try to step in and even as a peer or go to a superior go to a leader somebody you know Um, that can help you out, because you don't want to directly approach somebody necessarily, but you want to make sure, just let them know you're there, let them know, hey, Mm -hmm. if you are going through something, I'm here. If not, if you don't want to talk about it, that's totally fine. But sometimes just telling somebody that you're there for them can make all the difference in the world.
0: Christina, I'd like to stay on that topic a little bit if I can, because uh, it's also very important to understand one's own mental state. And in the interest of full disclosure, I always talk about this uh, to to let everybody know uh, that I have some anxiety that I've had uh, professionally uh, dealt with um, and then also some medication for it at times. It's hard for some people to understand that because they see me up here talking to everybody, and I got this. it's a nice protective you know, between me and you. You're not going to come after me. If you are, I'll lift it up and keep you up. But uh, no, honestly, uh, when I get into a group, if, if I were to be called upon to speak with this group, uh, just by wandering around the room and, and starting conversations, I would feel awfully anxious. I would have that you know kind of hair going up and sweat and you know, just, just feel uneasy. Uh, so, in, in in interest of full disclosure, I like everybody to know that uh, that's that's something that a lot of people deal with, and then not always people that you think might deal with it. Mm-hmm. So, Christine, staying with that, uh, from your experience, what small things have you added to your daily routine working in an office setting that have helped you stay aware of your mental health status from time to time?
1: I think that's a great question. I think it's hard, especially being a veteran and going from you know such a unique environment to a. a typical nine-to-five. I mean, maybe not here. It's not a typical nine-to-five because baseball games. Um, But I think it's important to just know that you need to check in with yourself. Um, I've had days where, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm responding to things on the fly, being in the nature of being in technology, sometimes things go wrong and we need to respond immediately. Um, But I think it's important to know that you need to check in with yourself at least once a day. Um, Sometimes Mm. I may just take lunch by myself just to have a calm moment, just to make sure like I'm taking care of myself and I'm checking in. Um, Another thing I like to do sometimes is just take a walk. I just go on a walk around the concourse or around the ballpark, Um, just get outside, get in the sun, you know, maybe interact with some other people that you're close to. I think especially for veter- veterans' struggle to um, transform into the normal setting. So I think it's really important to just make sure you're checking in with yourself and taking breaks as needed and, you know, taking care of yourself all the time.
0: And working for a major league baseball team in the front office is not an ordinary workplace. <laughs> We, In we, an
1: office we, setting.
0: It, so sometimes. We're a little, we're a little uh, off the charts at times. <laughs> Depending upon how far club is winning or losing, you can judge our attitude. Uh, Christine, you had a question for Kristen.
1: Yeah, so Kristen, um, back to you. One of our attendees' questions is centered around dealing with failure or the perception of failure. Um, how can we strive to deal with failure when sometimes we can be our own harshest critic?
2: Full disclosure, um, I am my own harshest critic. Um, I think that we all are, individually, like, because we see ourselves every day, every second. um, And uh, we have everything going in between these two years. So I would say my rule of thumb is making new mistakes is growth. Like, I want to make new mistakes, like, I want to try new things and fail at them. Um, you know I think like a lot of it has to do with expectation too, like if I do something new or you know this is completely new i 've never done anything like this um, hope i 'm not failing but
1: <laughs> you 're doing great <laughs> but, uh,
2: but you know for real, um, making new mistakes is growth and making the same old mistake over and over again, that might be where we need some intervention, um, where we might need some help there I've learned over the years that there are definitely people that have more experience than I do being a 24-year-old adult woman. And um, I think that being able to listen to others who have been through the same struggles that I've been going through really helps me navigate not making that same old mistake over and over and over again. Mm-hmm.
0: Kristen, we had uh, one, of, one of your colleagues from Mind Your Mind uh, talk about the importance of programming into your daily routine.
3: Mm.
0: Fun time. And he defined fun time as, that's when I watch the Three Stooges.
3: <laughs>
0: they make me laugh.
2: Was this Scott? Yeah. <laughs>
0: and and uh, I asked him about that. He said, no, you need that. Or put on some music that you really like that, uh, that's not message music, mm. but, you know, maybe it's just something that moves you. And program that into your day daily routine because if you don't program it in we all know how life gets really busy Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden there's no time for that yeah how important is that Do, do you try to schedule some of that time oh my
2: gosh yes I think that's that is really really important and it's super easy for it to slip away like my life is really busy I travel all over the country and talk to people so you know like my fun time looks like you know i have a dog i have a shiba and like my fun time is like taking her on a walk and like talking to her you know like i might look a little mm, (laughs) but but that's like my fun time or like on my way to presentations i'll listen to like just fun music and like jam out in my car you know it's it's really like those little moments in my life where i get the most enjoyment out of them
3: so Mm -hmm.
2: great question
0: That's still, every time I come into one of these sessions, I'm reminded about making sure that I get the Stooges on once in a while.
2: (laughs) Wait, what is your fun time?
0: (laughs) What what is my fun time? That's really a good question. Um, I do like to watch television, and I watch a lot of 50s escapism television. That's, like, before you were born, and your parents probably were born. But um, (laughs) I like to refer to that as the time when the world was in black and white uh, on your television. And, and it didn't, it was nonsensical. It might have been something as easy as leave it to beaver or something like that. Okay. That I didn't have to think through it. Yeah. And I could look at how life was simple back then and look at how they made it simple and sometimes think, are we just trying to make this harder than it really is? Mm-hmm. And I know life is faster and I know life is more complicated now. But sometimes I just look back and say, Maybe they had the answer back then. They had problems, but, you know, it was always solved in 30 minutes <laughs> or so. Uh, I guess that's my, my fun time, and I, and, I do, and I do enjoy dancing badly. Not as bad as <laughs> Elaine on Seinfeld, but I do. En- <laughs> oh, why are you laughing? You have a seen me dance. <laughs> At least wait until I dance. And the Elaine dance, I know. But those kinds of things, I Love, guess, it, are, love uh, it. my fun times. Uh, I had the next question planned, but I want to give it to you, Christine, to,
1: okay. to follow the script here. All right. Don, um, we'll get you. We'll get you a question here. Okay. So what advice would you give to those veterans who are currently in search of the courage to disclose their current mental health difficulties to others? It can be really hard to be willing to be open and share. So what would you tell somebody who was struggling with sharing how they're feeling?
3: I think, again, the answer is connect with peers. Um, that, I know for me, and i got to share this story, I joined TAPS. And I was very comfortable leading grief groups that were with men and women. I struggled thinking about doing a whole men's group. Um, I thought for sure that the men in there were going to think I was a wimp. Mm-hmm. And that I you know, had emotions and, and it just wasn't gonna work. What I learned when I started going to these men's grief groups, they, um, they allowed me to open up because they were open. They were authentic. They were being vulnerable. And I've seen it happen over and over again. Um, men need to connect uh, with other men that are going through similar situations, it's very helpful. Women veterans, I I have a feeling women are women are so much better than us men at um, showing emotion, expressing emotion. Uh, you know, I kind of envy uh, women uh, because it's so easy for for them to do that. Men, it's a little little tougher. And that's where it's so important to connect with just men.
0: Mm-hmm. That's true. We do have expectations, don't we? Mm-hmm. That are placed on men that are, and women for that matter. But uh, we're all built differently. You know, some of us have a little different makeup, uh, and may be more emotional, and others have the makeup that may be more hardened. And that's somehow just the way we're we're made. I believe. I could be wrong. I'm certainly not you know, a biophysicist or some a physicist or something like that. But that's a good point. We have to recognize everybody for who they are uh, and, and their body makeup and the chemical makeup in their mind. Uh, I, I don't want this to go too much further before we reach out to any of you and that we might have forgotten, uh, uh, had a question. Uh, to any of our esteemed panel here, uh, has anybody heard anything that makes you, you know, makes you think, ooh, I'd like to know more about that? I know they're doing a really good job of explaining everything, but no? Okay, well, if it, if it happens, yes, please.
3: How do, you, how do you reach out to someone who you, you know does have a problem, but they do not feel comfortable facing that problem, solving that problem, going forward in their own life with you know, to, to get past that problem. Like, they are not, they're in denial, I guess. That's, that's what they're, they, they don't think it's a problem, but it is a problem to everyone around them. And like, what do you do, aside from having an intervention? Is there some, some way to, to gently, school of personal
1: law and like help me with this <laughs> I need help <laughs> mm-hmm. do you want to take it or you I, I can give a little insight but I feel like you may have a little
2: okay um so that's a really good question um, thank you I would say you know I'll share like a little story with you if you don't mind um After my mom passed and uh, I went into drug and alcohol issues and mental health issues, every day that I would get home from school, my dad would ask me, how was your day? And I would say, it's fine. It's fine. And then I'd walk up into my room and totally isolate. And it was like clockwork. Every day when I got off that school bus, he would ask me, how you doing? How you doing? And he knew. He knew I was not okay. He knew I was having issues. And... Four years go by, Um, I had went to treatment once, I had been to a number of psychiatric wards, I had been to eight therapists, nine therapists, and I'll never forget my dad walking into my room, and he knocked on the door, and he asked if he could sit down, and I said, okay. And he sat down, and he said, Kristen, I don't know what else I can do to help you, but I just want you to know that I will go to any ends of the earth to be there for you and get you the help that you need. I want you to know that I'm worried about you and I want you to know that no matter what, like, I love you and I'll always love you. And he said this, that phrase, like, I'll, I love you all the way up to the moon and back. Like, my parents used to say that to me when I was a kid. And um, And he got up and he wasn't expecting a response. He just got up and he left. And for like a small moment, I sat there and I was like, I'm not going to get vulnerable. I'm not going to do it. But I, I got up. Something inside of me told me to get up and to walk out that door and just grab him and get vulnerable and, like, let the wall break down and just say, like, I love you and I need help. And I did. And I was 17. And um, that's when I went to treatment in 2015. It just took, like, the, the long story short is that it was consistency. You know, he opened his heart up to me. And, like, he didn't have to do that. Um. Sometimes we want people to answer when we want them to answer us and we want them to just break or shake out of their denial and you know, thank goodness my dad was taking care of his mental health you know because he families hurt probably more so than we do. I don't know if anybody if you have anything to add